This podcast is sponsored by GCK Consulting, a next generation political consulting firm. From fundraising to polling to campaign strategy, GCK is helping get millennials elected all across the country. To learn more about GCK and their services, just go to gckconsults.com. Again, that's gckconsults.com. All right, now to the podcast. Welcome to the Millennial Politics Podcast. I'm your host, Jordan Valerie. My pronouns are she, her, hers. And today I'm joined by New York City Council member and Queens District Attorney candidate, Rory Lansman. Thanks for coming on. Thanks for having me. Of course. The big question, why are you running for District Attorney? Well, our criminal justice system in Queens, like much of the country, is broken, it's racist, discriminatory against poor people. It doesn't protect working people or women or immigrants. I think I have the experience, the will, and the knowledge to radically transform the criminal justice system for the people in peace. And what does it mean to radically transform the system? What changes exactly need to be made? Let's start uh, with the premise that the system is fundamentally racist and discriminatory against poor people. And so people have come to understand that if you want to transform the criminal justice system, it's very hard to get the police to change what they do and, and how they do it. And it's a huge get the state legislature, the city council to, to make changes to the laws that will change the system. But if you get the right district attorney, somebody who is committed to the reform, committed to breaking the, the new Jim Crow, where thousands of people a year, almost all black or brown, run through the criminal justice system for relatively low-level offenses, given records for the rest of their lives, and make it hard for them to get a job, struggle to get an edu- education. Um, if you have a district attorney who's willing to, to break that system, you can you can radically transform criminal justice. So let's start with who's getting police and for what. Queens is, is not unique in over-policing and mass incarcerating communities of color. What if you had a district attorney who said, I'm not going to prosecute these low-level offenses, marijuana therapy, low-level drug possession, all these other um, minor, relatively minor crimes that shouldn't be in the criminal justice system at all, but, but that either criminalize poverty or mental illness or homelessness. As I like to say, the police can only police what prosecutors are willing to prosecute. What if you had a district attorney who said, I'm not going to ask the chance there, but nobody is sitting on Rikers Island because they can't come up with $500 or $5,000 or any amount of money that is uh, the price of their freedom. What if you had a district attorney who said, I don't care what the state law allows me to do. I am not going to withhold evidence under the defense so that they can prepare for trial. Um, your listeners might be shocked to learn that in New York, much of the evidence against a defendant in a criminal case is withheld from him or her until the very start of trial. It's not uncommon for a defense lawyer to get a box of documents dumped onto her desk um, at the very start of the trial. That's no way for people to, to prepare to defend their lives and their liberty. What if you had a district attorney who said, I'm not going to force people to plead guilty if they want the opportunity to participate in a substance abuse 
diversion program rather than going to, to jail. And on and on and on. And the criminal justice process is a, is a, is a life of a, of a criminal case. Queens in particular, the district attorneys make it almost impossible for a person to get a, a fair trial. To, to, the, to the point where Queens is the only jurisdiction in New York City that does not have a conviction integrity review unit. If somebody who's been wrongfully convicted, and we've had plenty of wrongful convictions in Queens, somebody who's wrongfully convicted sitting in a jail upstate, sitting in a prison upstate, could ask a district attorney's office to, to look at new evidence or to look at um, uh, aspects of the trial that uh, may come to light or were unfair or, or the result of law enforcement misconduct. So you have a district attorney like I pledge to be and, and as the work that I've done over the years demonstrates that I will be, will will use that, that past, almost unchecked authority to make critical reforms to the criminal justice system. At the end of that, you have a criminal justice administration. That's my problem. And what has your record been on criminal justice? I currently chair in the city council the Committee on the Justice System, which oversees the district attorneys who are funded by, by, by New York City, the public defenders who are also funded by New York City, the courts, the mayor's office of criminal justice. So for the last five years in the city council, we have been at the forefront of holding hearings, passing legislation, conducting oversight, and, and using the budgetary power that we have in the city council to transform the criminal justice. We've had hearings on broken windows policing, mass incarceration, wrongful convictions, speedy trial, getting ICE out of our courtrooms, collateral consequences for, for immigrants who find themselves in the criminal justice system. And through all of those hearings and that oversight, we've been able to move the needle on a lot of issues in the criminal justice. Bail reform, closing writers, you name it. We've been at the forefront. But in addition, I've passed laws as a council member to reform the criminal justice system. We passed laws requiring the, the, the police department to provide data on uh, fair evasion arrests to demonstrate the gross, gross racial disparities in how fair evasion is policed in New York City. We've passed um, uh, uh, laws on um, to protect women. I, I'm the author of New York City's uh, revenge porn law, which uh, makes it a crime for uh, uh, people to disclose and put on the internet uh, pictures of their former wife or, or, or partner without, without their consent. And we've used the power of the budget to fund progressive criminal justice reform. We fund the organizations that serve women charged with prostitution in human trafficking courts so they can get services instead of going to jail. We funded Staten Island's new conviction integrity unit. We gave them $400,000 last year to get that, get that started. Um, so, and that's just the work that I've done in the, in, in the city council. Before that, I was in the state assembly and was very involved in performing uh, the state's uh, wrongful conviction Compensation laws, dealing with issues of thematic uh, uh, bias in, in jury pools. You know, the other aspect of reforming the criminal justice system is is not just we are over policing and over criminalizing too many people, 
But as a result of that, we're not keeping working people, women, immigrants, homeowners, tenants safe. We're not focusing on wage theft, which is rampant in New York City. We're not focusing on workplace safety violations. We have an astounding number of people, workers in New York City, who've been killed on construction sites or injured in the work. We're not focusing on homeowners in Queens who are losing their homes through mortgage fraud and seed fraud. We're not prosecuting anybody for harassing tenants out of uh, rent-regulated apartments so that they can be converted to the luxury condominium. We spend an enormous amount of energy, resources, time on prosecuting low-level offenses, on over-prosecuting people, and not enough time on protecting people and using the criminal laws to, to keep people safe in their workplaces, in their homes, and, and to keep immigrants from being preyed upon. That is the essence of, of my campaign. And, and that's the work that I've that I've done. You know, before I was elected anything, I was a lawyer in, in private practice uh, for about 15 years, uh, doing workplace rights law. I represented people in state and federal court who had been cheated out of their wages, who were injured on the job, who were sexually harassed or, or discriminated against because of their race, their religion, their sexual orientation uh, in the workplace. That's the kind of perspective we need in the district attorney's office. We need the DA's office to no longer just be a place that processes the cases that the police bring to it, because those cases are, by and large, garbage cases that just give black and brown people criminal records for the rest of their lives, and instead focus on things that day-to-day working people are being preyed upon with, with, with near impunity. And so looking at some of the specific communities that are targeted, what is the history of ICE targeting immigrants in Queens? What what problems do immigrants face in your community right now? So Queens, we're very proud that we're the most diverse, the most diverse county in the country. And we really are a borough of immigrants. And that's, that's me, I mean, in my own home. Um, my wife is from Iran after the revolution, most of the Jewish community had to flee. She came to this country as a political refugee and ultimately was able to get citizenship. So the defending and protecting immigrants is, is personal to me as, as a New Yorker in my own life, um, but also as a, as, a, as a public official. And in New York, we are known as a sanctuary city. And during my time in the council, we literally kicked ice off of Rikers Island. We have spent tens of millions of dollars providing legal counsel to immigrants facing a deportation, whether un- uh, whether they're unaccompanied minors or uh, people in adults in, in, in removal proceedings. With the election of Donald Trump, have seen an intense focus on trying to round as many uh, uh, immigrants as possible and feed them into the Donald Trump deportation machine. And, and our city has been complicit in that when it comes to the criminal justice. Look, one of the reasons I think that we need to stop arresting people and prosecuting them for these low-level offenses like marijuana or fair evasion is because those folks then get into the criminal justice system, and if they're not a citizen, even a green card can be deported for a fair evasion conviction. So, so part of protecting immigrants means keeping them out of the criminal justice system in the first place. If they are in the criminal justice system, there are two that district attorneys can make about how to charge 
an offense that a, that a, that a, a non-citizen is accused of committing. You know, you charge it one way, that's exposed them to deportation. You charge it a different way, and then it becomes deportable. And then, of course, you get to the issue of ICE in the courthouse. When my committee held a hearing on this issue over a year ago, before it was, before it was sexy, when we started seeing ICE stalking uh, non-citizens uh, coming to court appearances, either as a defendant or a witness, or in a civil court proceeding, um, a family court. And, and as a district attorney, I would have an obligation to preserve the, the, the integrity of the criminal justice process to protect defendants who are, who are exposed to deportation, who are willing to show up and go through their court, court appearances and, and, and have their day in court, or to protect victims of crime who are witnesses so that they know that they can come to court and get justice in their case. And, and that's a very, very important aspect of, of my campaign. And do you believe that city, government, the mayor are allies to this agenda? Well, I got to tell you, it's been incredibly frustrating as a city council member. You have a, a city council and a mayor and a governor and now a state legislature that believes in criminal justice reform, but where the rubber meets the road has been a lot of disappointment. So, for example, in my race for, for district attorney, I have the support of uh, Gwen Clark, the mother of uh, Eric Garner, who we all saw with our own eyes, choked to death by the police using an illegal, uh, prohibited uh, chokehold. I have legislation in the council which would make it a crime for an officer to use a chokehold. The mayor has promised that he would veto it. We have fought with the mayor to try to um, expand the, the rights of citizens and their interaction with the police, to try to expand um, and make it easier for people to pay bail. We have people sitting on Rikers Island for want of an ATM machine in the courtroom for them to be able to get, get the money to pay the bail that has been set. We have people sitting on Rikers Island um, because their loved one can't take a day off of work to go through the Byzantine process of actually bailing them out. So it's, it's been very frustrating. And then, of course, you know, the mayor insists on continuing to criminalize fair evasion, jumping a turnstile when there's a civil alternative that won't expose anyone to the criminal justice system or to deportation proceedings if they're not a citizen. The mayor, you know, has made progress in turning down the, the heat on arresting people for marijuana possession and, and, and smoking, but it's, his policy is still full of exceptions. So, you know, the 35,000-foot view is the city is embracing criminal justice reform. But when you get into the weeds, there are a lot of disappointments. And, and I guess that's, that's my point to people. It's very hard to get the, the police department don't want to make any change. But even a progressive mayor, a self-described progressive mayor like Bill de Blasio, is tugged in 30 different directions, 20 different political calculations for everything here, you know, that he wants to, to do. And so you really need a district attorney that is committed to making radical reform. Because the unilateral authority of that office has caused so much damage, so much destruction to people's lives mostly the people of color, can also be a force for, for good. It can also be a force for, for reform and for change.
And, and DA can do that whether or not the mayor or the city is cooperative or not. And we've seen the NYPD oppose even the most basic calls for reform and accountability. We saw them mock Eric Garner's dying words as if they were a joke. How exactly are you going to go about interacting with a police force that has proven so hostile? So one of the advantages that I have in this race as a candidate is as the, the only candidate who's really taken on the police head on on a regular basis. I've had Commissioner O'Neill and before him Commissioner Bratton in the hot seat on here at hearings of my committee under oath, forcing them to answer tough questions. I forced Commissioner O'Neill to acknowledge that the mayor's uh, fair evasion policing strategy could lead to, to people getting deported. Uh, there's, a, there's a lawsuit that's pending right now. Lanceman versus de Blasio and O'Neill, the current police commissioner, over the, the city's and the NYPD's failure to comply with the law passed regarding data when it comes to, to fair evasion. Look, it's very important that the district attorney um, be committed to faithfully and fully enforcing the law, including when it comes to misconduct, wrongdoing, brutality, on behalf of the police when, the, when, 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 it, when committed by the police. You know, we have officers who routinely lie in court, perjure themselves, um, shade the facts. The district attorney should be making a list of those officers who engage in what's called what they test the line and not accept any more cases for built on, on the testimony of those officers. You have to have a district attorney who's willing to prosecute officers who commit perjury, who commit um, brutality, who engage in, in, in wrongdoing. And, and that's what I've committed to do. You know, we had a um, one of the tragic shootings, killings of unarmed civilians in our city's life. There's a list of names that evoke the, the, the trauma of those, those tragedies, right? Eric Garner, Amadou. Well, one young man who was killed by the police was Sean Bright here in Queens. He was killed on his wedding day. And it turned out that he was unarmed and it was completely unjustified. Nobody was held accountable for that. Well, Sean Bell's mom, Valerie Bell, was a supporter of mine. And, and, and that support is based entirely on her conviction that I will have the conviction to hold police officers accountable for wrongdoing. But can I say it's also more than that? It's shaping criminal justice policy in a way that forces the police to do things differently. As I said earlier, the police can only police what prosecutors are willing to prosecute. Today, the Manhattan District Attorney announced that after a year of refusing to prosecute fair evasion in the borough of Manhattan, arrests for fair evasion have gone down 96%. That's 96% decrease in people who are run through the criminal justice and given criminal records, potentially spending time on records that they can't make bail. That's a huge difference in people's lives. The district attorney has to be the one to keep the cops honest, both on an individual basis and individual acts of misconduct, but also as a, as a matter of policy and policing strategy. 
Hey everyone, I'm Nathan. And I'm Dylan. And as you know, Millennial Politics is totally independent and volunteer run. That means every podcast you listen to, every article you read, and every tweet you see is created by a dedicated team of volunteers. It also means that we can say what we want to say when we want to say it, but we rely on listeners just like you to support our work. We hope you'll consider supporting us by subscribing at patreon.com slash millenpolitics. Every dollar will go directly towards our mission of shining a spotlight on progressive candidates, causes, and organizations. And if you subscribe at the ambassador level or more, we'll send you a free copy of How Our Government Really Works Despite What They Say. It's an award-winning book about the intricacies of American government, and you'll get to join our exclusive ambassador Slack channel and get to hang out with us all day, every day. I pretty much live there. So if that appeals to you, come join us. And we want to give a very special shout out to our executive producer, Greg Stevens, and our producers, Brad Tracy and Renee Garcia-Brown. Again, if you want to continue hearing interviews and conversations just like this one, we hope you'll visit patreon.com slash millenpolitics. That's patreon.com slash M-I-L-L-E-N politics and join the movement. All right, now back to the show. Do you believe that in a truly just system, we need to have a police force? Well, we need to have a police force because, unfortunately, human behavior is what it is, and there are people who are engaged in wrongdoing. There are people who commit murders and robberies, and and there are people who prey on other people, and and we have a very serious problem in the city with domestic violence, and we have a very serious problem with sexual assault, which is still on the rise, and and we we still have, um, you know, although crime all is gone down, it's very uneven. There are still precincts in New York City where murders have gone up, where rapes have gone up. And so when someone is, is, is coming to do harm to, to me or my family, I'm going to call 911 and I hope that the police show up. I hope that they're well trained. I hope that they uh, uh, use restraint. But we still need a police force to, to, to protect us because we live in the world where where there are, there are people who will do harm to other people. What's happened is, and, and this is a conscious choice that, that our society has made, and it, and it traces itself back to, 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 to the end of slavery and the collapse of Reconstruction, that we are going to use the criminal justice system to keep black people in check. And the evolution of this is, 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 is very clear to anyone who takes it And so the modern manifestation of that is when New York City was stopping and frisking six, seven, eight hundred thousand people of color a year, almost every single one of them doing absolutely nothing wrong except going about their business. It manifests itself in in, uh, an unequal treatment of of, uh, uh, people of color when it comes to marijuana enforcement or um, drug possession or any of the myriad of low-level offenses that are used to, to, by the police to, to keep themselves in the lives of black and brown people. That is what we are confronting here in Queens, and that is what I want to, to break. And how would you go about, as DA, not just policing violent behavior, rape, murder, domestic abuse, but working to prevent such violence from occurring in the first place? Well, that's an excellent question. And it gets to the heart of what is a district attorney? 
This kind of raises the question of what what purpose should prison serve? Exactly what kinds of actions do warrant incarceration and what is the end goal of such incarceration? Yeah, you know, it's, it's, it's very important for us to look at our jails and our prisons and ask ourselves a hard question. What are the purpose of these institutions? And, and it's often very difficult to explain to communities that don't have experience with over-policing and mass incarceration to, to, to care about the people who are sitting in our jails and in our prisons, almost all of whom at some point are coming home and need to be able to re-enter society without the obstacles of the criminal record preventing them from getting a job, housing, or education, with some kind of skill set that will enable them to, to make a productive living. Uh, earn a productive uh, living. You know, so we've been at the, the forefront of trying to expand educational opportunities, even while people are in Rikers Island, which you know, for most people is a relatively short stay. But they should be there. If you're young, you should be in school. If you're, if 
you're if you're older, you should be doing something productive. We've broken barriers by banning uh, or severely limiting the um, uh, check the box uh, obstacle, where people who are applying for jobs or other opportunities, you know, have to check that box that yes, they were convicted of a crime. We've made it much harder for people to be discriminated against because of a criminal record. I, I just called legislation in the council requiring the Department of Corrections to inform people uh, who are leaving Rikers Island that, that they still have the right to vote, right? Which, which is a very, very important tether to civilized society, that, that you, are, you are valued and you are a person and, and you have the right to vote just as everyone one else. Or I'm one of the leaders in the Rikers movement because Rikers has become such a dystopian uh, nightmare. And and there's more harm to the people who we send there than than good, both for them and and, and for society. And and part of the close Rikers movement and, and and the desire to have more modern jail facilities in communities, not off on this isolated island, is a reflection of or a recognition that you're metaphorically and literally sending people off to an island that is. Uh, uh, just a, a um, breeding ground of, of violence and resentment and, 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 and retrogression is, is, bad for, is bad for society. As I'm sure you know, recently a transgender woman was charged with, quote, false personation for giving the NYPD her real name. This isn't something uncommon. Transgender women, uh, transgender people in general face high discrimination rates from police. Their documentation isn't always in line with their actual gender or their actual name. They're often incarcerated in gendered facilities that do not match their actual gender, which puts them at higher risks for sexual assault as well as suicide. How will you go about supporting the transgender community as DA? The diversity of queens is not only ethnic and racial and religious diversity, but it's identity diversity in all of its forms. You know, we have a long history of problems in Queens with the police not respecting and, and the district attorney's office respecting um, the LGBTQ community. We have um, a problem with uh, transgender individuals being arrested for prostitution just for walking the streets on Roosevelt Avenue, going to or, or from. It's, it's an enormous challenge to, to break a culture that exists in law enforcement that, I guess for want of a better term, is this kind of macho, gruff culture. Look, I experienced when I experienced it when I served in the Army that um, almost uh, cultivates uh, prejudices and, and biases and and, and, and distorted and unhealthy views of, of, of manhood and, and personhood. You need a district attorney that, well, appropriately, is going to lay down law, right? That is going to work with marginalized communities to develop public safety and policing strategies that work for them, right? That, that makes the distinction between uh, people who are engaged in wrongdoing and people who are living their their, their lives. Um, you know, what happened in the case of the, the first false impersonation um, case, 
not, it, there's no question that that was, was driven by an animus and a, and a hostility that no person walking the beat with a gun and a badge and the authority to arrest and use lethal force should have. One of the things that we've been very disappointed about with um, our mayor is um, the molasses-like rollout of uh, implicit bias training uh, among the police force. And, of course, in our district attorney's offices, there's no such um, uh, a regime of, of, of training. And then if you look at the Queen's district attorney's office in, in, in particular, the lack of diversity is just, it's just stunning. Year after year, they're bringing in classes of 20, 25, 30 new district attorneys, very, very few people of color. All of the highest echelons of the district attorney's office uh, are, are, are white men. There, there are very few bureau chiefs or, or, or division chiefs in the district attorney's office who are, who are uh, people of color. That jumbled together and put together is a recipe for the mistreatment, the maltreatment of marginalized people, including transgender people. And you mentioned transgender people being prosecuted for sex work charges. What are you going to do to help decriminalize sex work and ensure that people aren't being criminalized for supporting themselves through this form of labor? So um, we've committed that we're not going to prosecute people for the charge of prostitution. And one of the things that I'm very proud of as a council member is directing a significant amount of funding every year to women who are currently charged with prostitution and are diverted into the human trafficking court. And, and we provide services, whether it's educational services or healthcare services or immigration services to them. But we should not be arresting these individuals from the first place. Now, I'm not of a place where I support the full legalization of prostitution. So there's some combination of, of what's known as the Nordic model, um, where the focus on policing prostitution is on the John, on the operators of, of brothels, um, and uh, 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 a side uh, model, which lets people engaged in prostitution know that if crimes are committed against them, we will take that seriously. We will prosecute people. We will prosecute John. We will prosecute those who think that because someone who's engaged in prostitution is engaged in sex work, that law enforcement doesn't care about them and that it's open game, open season uh, on them. But we're not going to be prosecuting individuals engaged in prostitution. And you mentioned your work going about supporting and communicating with the Muslim community. Obviously, we are seeing a huge assault on that community coming from the federal government. This isn't something new. We've seen the Muslim community targeted under Democrats and Republicans alike. What is your history of working with the Muslim community and how do you intend to support them as DA? Yeah, I'm very proud that I have one of the largest Muslim communities um, in New York City in my district, mostly um, uh, Bangladeshi uh, immigrants. And we work very closely with that community, obviously, to provide uh, services for their needs, whether it's uh, senior issues or, or education issues or, or making sure that the parks and the Muslim community are, are, are given as much attention as every, as every other part. But combating Islamophobia is extremely important. And unfortunately, in New York City, 
Department and the District Attorney's Office, including Queens, do not take hate crimes seriously enough. It is very, very difficult to get the police to um, arrest and charge people for hate crimes. I'll give you an example. We had um, um, somebody stormed into the biggest mosque in my district on a Friday during Friday afternoon prayer and started shouting and, and disrupting and yelling um, uh, anti-Muslim uh, slurs. And, and he got chased out of there by, by the congregants, and eventually the police came. The, the police and the district attorney refused to charge it as a hate crime. We had um, two uh, Jewish youth who were attacked on a street in Regal Park uh, solely because they were dressed and identifiable as Jews. The police came and they arrested the, the perpetrators for assault and prosecuting them for, for, for that crime, that street crime, but they refused to, to charge it as a hate crime. We just had an incident in, uh, I think it was uh, Jackson Heights. Uh, I was at a, a, a press conference with a local council member where somebody was uh, assaulted. Um, the, the person who assaulted him used uh, anti-LGBT uh, slurs. They used the the F word, and and the person was arrested for uh, assault, but not charged as as a hate crime. So we and and, and I, one of the five the sponsor of legislation in the city council that will require the city to form a white supremacist prevention task force. Because I was very shocked that when we had a, a the, the Proud Boys come in. And, and engage in a, a street riot in New York City and assault people, nobody was arrested. So, you know, it's very, very important that every community in New York City, including the Muslim community, sees that law enforcement is not just working to protect them, but also is, is recognizing when assaults are committed against Muslims because of their faith, because of their identity. We've had a significant rise in hate crimes in New York City against Jews, against African Americans, against Muslims. And law enforcement is not taking them seriously as hate crimes. And that leads to signaling to the white supremacists, the anti-Semites, the Islamophobes, the racists. We don't take their crimes seriously. And when we talk about crime, we often hear about blue-collar crime, but we do not talk about white-collar crime. What is your approach to white-collar crime? Yeah, look, look, my message, reduced to its essence, is we spend way too much time policing and mass incarcerating communities of color for for, for nonsense and not enough time prosecuting white-collar crime that really hurts regular people. We have an epidemic of wage theft where people are not being paid the minimum wage, they're not being paid overtime, they're being paid off the books. And and nobody is prosecuting those cases. We have an epidemic in, in Queens in particular. We are, Queens is ground zero for the foreclosure crisis in New York State. And a lot of that is a result of fraud and malfeasance, uh, predatory lending. Nobody's being prosecuted for these things. We have, we have got to Defend people's pocketbooks, defend people's homes, defend people's apartments. We've got to crack down on, on immigration fraud schemes that, that prey on immigrants who are desperate, particularly now, to secure their, their, their status. 
That's what we need to focus on. Instead of rounding up black and brown kids because they've got a joint in their pocket. A big question uh, I think we need to ask all candidates is how they're going to ensure that they stay accountable to their communities. How are you intending to do so? Yeah, so as a council member, it's been my, my lived experience that I need to be constantly engaged with my community. That's how I get elected. That's how I get reelected. That means we're going to have mechanisms in the office for community engagement. We're going to have advisory councils that meet regularly on different issues. A very transparent season and, and procedures in the office that we can be measured against. We're going to have a, a detailed, strong code of ethics that we're going to publicize that our office can be uh, held uh, accountable to, to when people see if we're doing something different in the courtroom than what we're announcing we're going to do at a, at a press conference. We're going to have our policies on open file discovery and our policies on, on plea bargaining and our, our policies on decline to prosecute all written and, and open and, and made public so that people can measure what we're actually doing against what we have committed to do. Committed to do town hall, you know, all of each of the 16 precincts uh, throughout Queens uh, once a year, and, and to be the kind of district attorney who is out in the community. There's a reason that the district attorney position is elected. Right? He or she is supposed to draw input from the community about the kind of criminal justice that they want. And it's supposed to be responsible to the community to go out and explain what it is that the office is doing. And I expect to fully embrace that as, as someone who has been an elected official, knows what it means to, to solicit and engage, solicit community input, engage with the community, and be accountable to that community. And how can folks learn more about your campaign and get involved? First and foremost, go to my website. Latin4DA.com, and you will see uh, a detailed description of our proposed policies and my history working on, on these issues. Um, but they could also just Google Rory Lanceman criminal justice, Rory Lanceman wrongful conviction, Rory Lanceman open file discovery. They can Google Rory Lanceman and whatever criminal justice is important to them, and they will see the work that I have done. Okay, awesome. Well, thank you so much for coming on to the podcast today, and we hope to get you on in the future after you win your primary. Thank you. It was my pleasure, and I really enjoyed talking. Of course. And lastly, to our listeners, make sure to keep up to date with the Millennial Politics Podcast by subscribing on iTunes, tuning into the Progressive Radio Network every Tuesday at 8 p.m. Eastern, and following us on social media. Thanks for listening.